Okay, hello. I'm Dr. Tony Rivera. I serve as the Director of Educational Assessment at Marion University, and welcome to this episode of Data Talk. Whether you are staff, faculty, or a student, you know that there can be so much fatigue when it comes to surveys, evaluations, and on and on. You are asked to complete so many things, but often never hear back about the findings and how findings are used on campus. Data Talk seeks to highlight the people on campus involved in assessment, the people who read your responses to various assessments and use data to inform curricular and co-curricular improvements. Our guest today is Dr. David Russbason. David is the Assistant Dean for the School of Behavioral and Applied Social Sciences in the College of Arts and Sciences. He is also the Director of the Transformational Journey Program and a Professor of Psychology. David earned his Bachelor's in Psychology from Marion and his Master's and Doctorate in Industrial and Organizational Psychology from the University of Connecticut. David would eventually return to Marion uh, after uh, graduating from Connecticut and has been teaching uh, here for, for several years. David Russbason, welcome to Data Talk. Thanks, Tony. So, David, before we, we get into the data, just give people a chance to, to get to get to know you a little bit. So I have a, a couple of questions. So after, after graduate school, before returning to, to Marion, um, I saw that you, you worked at Starbucks as an employee research analyst. I'm curious, what is your typical order when you go to Starbucks? Uh, it's funny that you asked that because when I, was, when I was working at Starbucks, I had to take so many coffee classes. Huh. Uh, and, and so I went through the whole barista training kind of thing. And so I was going to – you start with that green apron, um, and then you can work your way up to the brown apron. And then if you're really good, you can work your way up to the black apron. Um, and so I took all these classes, and so I learned how to make all these drinks, and I'm uh, a, a kind of a purist. So it's just, uh, it's a latte. Okay. <laughs> like, just give me the tallest latte, not the tallest <laughs> because it's tall, um, venti latte. Yeah, okay. And it, depending on what time of day, it's either decaf or full throttle. And another thing I saw, you, you recently published an article on uh, the toxic coaching of college student-athletes. You know, I'm, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about just what you learned from your research and, you know, if, if there's any tips for, for coaches as, as well as student-athletes? The idea that toxic coaching really was a blend of a student's, a student of mine's interest and my own. So, you know, working with students, we try to figure out how to, how to blend what they're interested in and what, what I'm able to provide them when it comes to research. And so I had a student come up and, and she, was, she had a history of having some really tough coaches. So I'm assuming everybody sort of does. Sure. That's, that's been part of, uh, of sports at some point. She was just, you know, she was really passionate about saying how poorly she was treated by some of her, her coaches in the past and how, how that was going to have some sort of psychological impact on, on collegiate athletes because uh, she was a collegiate athlete as well. And so I was, I had some background in understanding about toxic leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I don't know if anything's ever really been done when it comes to the style of leadership that a coach does and then in the realm of a toxic coach. And so we just blended those two together and it worked out really, really well. I mean, not really, really well because toxic coaches sure. are bad. <laughs> but it, we, we, just, we just found that there was relationships between, um, you know, if you had a toxic coach that uh, it had an impact on, your, your likelihood to quit the team, your likelihood to quit school, 
your level of burnout associated with having to deal with the higher level of stress associated with it, sure. how committed you were to the organization how commi- or uh, to the school, how committed you were to your team, your likelihood to actually quit uh, and that sort of thing. And so we found that there, there were relationships there. It was, it was you, ha- it, a toxic coach, we kind of found out was that the toxic coach created a level of stress that led to burnout. So this, the, this, the, the student athlete was dealing with that conflict of having a toxic coach, but also having the need to be a student and an athlete at the same time. And so they had a, they had to sp- uh, spend a lot of time dealing with that level of stress that it led to burnout. And so that would translate into those feelings of like, I don't want to quit school. I want to quit the team. I, I'm not committed and that sort of thing. And so yeah. we've, we, we found that. And, and, and what, I, what I would hope to get from this is that coaches who care about their, their, their student athletes and they care about them being committed to being a student and an athlete at the same time, they can recognize that they're creating this environment where a student has a high stress load that they're could reach a breaking point of burnout yeah. to the point where they start thinking, what are my options? And the options are just to quit, to get either quit the team or quit the school just so that they, because they've reached their limit. And so hopefully, I mean, when I was, when I was writing it, I was kind of hoping that like assistant or athletic directors were really talking about it by saying, Ooh, I need to make sure that my coaches aren't doing this because the athletic director is really what's responsible, who's the person who's responsible for making sure that the coach can make sure that they remain student athletes as opposed to quitting because of too much toxic coaching. What were some of like the defining features of toxic coaching? I mean, I'm sure it's pretty, pretty obvious, but were there, you know, yeah. How were you defining it in your study? Oh, I, I want to say it was like, I mean, there's beratement, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, yelling at, at, at individuals, not really focusing on negative as opposed to what they're doing well, but focusing on the, on the areas that they were struggling within. So it was mostly kind of yelling. It was lack of support. I think there was actually a little bit of like retaliation um, mm-hmm. and some favoritism. So if somebody um, was talking about coach was perceived as being favorite, uh, having a favorite student or an athlete that was getting more time and wasn't based off performance per se and that kind of stuff. So it, it really, it really was a, in, if I was going to classify it in general, it was, it was a lack of supportive kind of uh, situation with a, with, a, with a coach. It was it was not focusing on the positives and building people up. It was more about degrading people and yelling at them and that sort of thing. And then the the last question I have before we, we get into the, the, the data that we're here to talk about, your dissertation uh, looked at workplace stress and, and supervisor support. I'm curious, you know, what did you learn from reviewing the literature and, and researching this topic that that you're able to apply in, in you know, your current positions at, at Marion? Because you're working with a, a lot of people, whether, you know, faculty or staff. And so how, how do you support them? Uh, what, I, what I did learn, the, the sort of the addition to the literature, what I was hoping to accomplish with my dissertation was, a lot of support that a supervisor provides in a workplace or a leadership kind of situation, they only focus on either giving somebody an emotional support or instrumental support. <laughs> um, and so it was really this dichotomy of just saying, well, do you care about them and about their emotions and how they're feeling? Or do you care about their work and what they're doing about their work and their, that they're performing? And I, and I thought that was, was much more complex than that. Yeah. And so I try to get deeper into trying to figure out what style of support that a, a supervisor can provide uh, a subordinate. And so what I found out, so I broke it off into, you know, emotional support, but I also did, you know, is your supervisor 
supportive of what you do outside of work, your outside of work life? Are they supportive of giving you the resources you need to do your job? Are they supportive of appraisal? Like, do they actually tell you about your performance and care about that? And so what I really found out was in the literature in the past, it was really like, it was mostly emotional stuff. It was Mm -hmm. the emotional stuff was the most impactful. But what I found out after you delineated it a little bit more and you looked a little closer, it really was that resource support. It was people really wanted the tools in order to succeed. And so one of the ways was that came out was to be the most supportive was give your, your, your people what they need to do their job. Don't, it's not, it's, it was a little bit more like lip service by saying, Oh yes, I care about you. I'm really worried about how you're feeling and that sure. sort of thing. It's like, no, if you give me what I need to do to do my job, then that's what's the most impactful when it comes to things like if you remain committed to the organization, if you're what your satisfaction was with your job, that sort of thing. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for asking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this episode, you know, as as many of you know, um, I don't know when this is gonna this is gonna come out, but um, in the the spring twenty twenty three um, semester, Marion's administering the the national survey of of student engagement. Um, so these last couple episodes, we've tried to focus on on previous Nessie findings to promote awareness about the survey and and how we've used findings uh, in the past. So for those that are unfamiliar, uh, the National Survey of Student Engagement, or NESI, annually collects information from hundreds of four-year colleges and universities about first-year and senior students' participation in programs and activities that uh, institutions provide for their learning and personal development. So the results provide an estimate of how undergraduates are, are spending their time and what they're gaining uh, from their college experience. Uh, the specific findings that we will be discussing on today's episode look at student-faculty interaction among seniors and how Marion compares uh, to our three comparison groups, uh, which includes uh, Indiana private institutions uh, that participated in, in, in Nessie. So when it comes to the specific findings, students were asked during the current school year about how often have you talked about career plans with a faculty member, worked with a faculty member on activities other than coursework, discussed course topics, ideas, or concepts with a faculty member outside of class, and discussed your academic performance with a faculty member. So those four items make up the student-faculty interaction engagement indicator, so essentially a scale that's part of the the survey. So the response options uh, were very often, often, sometimes, and never. And we're looking at the overall mean for that student-faculty interaction engagement indicator as well as the percentage of senior respondents who indicated either very often or often in response to one of those four items. And we see when we're looking at the findings, we see some really promising findings. So Marion's student-faculty interaction, the senior mean for Marion, was significantly higher than our three comparison groups. So our benchmarking schools, Indiana private schools, and Great Lakes private schools with a, with a medium effect size. And at the, at the item level, our participation was higher on every item when compared to, to those three comparison groups. So, for example, 63% of senior respondents said they talked about career plans with a faculty member either very often or often. 
and compared to Indiana private schools, only 51% of senior respondents from Indiana private schools said the same thing. So you could see a, a pretty large gap. Very, very promising stuff when I, when I look at it. But I, I'm curious, David, you know, when, when you looked at, at those findings, what stood out to you when looking at the, the student-faculty interaction among seniors at Marion? As soon as I saw that, those particular items. So again, if, if you hear student-faculty interaction, you want to know what the questions are. And so when, when you talk about asking students if they've spoken with their, prof- with their professor or faculty member about their career plans or their academic performance and that sort of thing, it just, when I, when I, when I see those numbers, it's promising. I feel good about them, mostly because that's what I tell incoming students or current sure. students or even my nephew. I was talking to my nephew last night about this particular thing. It really was this what kind of experience do you get here relative to somewhere else? And this supports the idea of talking about our, our transformational journey program, um, which is something that we sort of is, is our general education core courses that we have all of our students take. But, but it's more than that. It's, it's, it's the holistic educational experience you get while your entire, your entire time at Marion. And so that journey is part of a vocational journey. And so as part of the director of TJP, I, I ask all of our instructors to share their vocational journey with all of our students. So the very first day of class, I hope this is what they do, but they are, are asked to share how they got where they were. So it was, it was interesting how we opened up our, this, this podcast right now because you yeah. said, hey, you, you've been here, you've gone here and that sort of thing. And so it helps, you know, a discerning eight, 18 to 22-year-old figure out saying, I, I, they don't know what their path is and I don't know what their path is, but we're all on a path. And we, we make a concerted effort here to make sure that we share that concern with our students because it, it is our concern as well. We, we, we are concerned about what their career plans are. We are concerned about what their academic performance is, is like while they're here. And so seeing that these numbers are higher for, uh, across all of our benchmarks, our Indiana private uh, benchmarks, our Great Lakes private benchmarks, that sort of thing, it, it just it, – it confirms at least that what, that what I'm asking my, uh, my instructors uh, and professors to do is, is to have that conversation. And it's showing me that we are having that conversation. And probably even what's best about it is that our, our senior level students are, are remembering it, are noticing it at a much higher rate. And so when I go talk to you know, the accepted students that are coming in here or potential students that are on campus, I can, I can share this kind of number by saying this is, this is what separates the kind of experience you're going to get here at Marion relative to somewhere else. And like I said, I, I was literally having this conversation at 10 o'clock last night with my nephew who's thinking about coming here. And he's thinking about, you know, considering coming here or going to a big school. And I, I was telling him this is exactly it. I said, you're going to get more support about your path because you're, you're going to know your professor is a little bit deeper here. And, they're, and they have a general concern for it, for, for what you're going to be doing. And so that's that's what jumps out to me from these particular numbers is that it, it, it strengthens what we say that we're going to do and it, we actually have our students saying that it's actually happening. And how do you, I mean, you know, I mentioned among your, your many jobs here at Marion that, that you know, you're a professor of, of psychology. I mean, with all you have going on, and, and a lot of our faculty have a lot going on, you know, p- positions at, at Marion, service, research, how do you personally make, make time to interact with with students out, outside of class how do you how do you prioritize student faculty interaction yeah I, I don't know I don't know how it happens honestly yeah probably in, in, a, in, a, in a real 
top level kind of way, it starts with getting to know the students as well as I can, as fast as I can, so that I can sort of understand when they're going to need the help and, and how they're going to communicate when they do. I have a couple of advisees right now that I know when they need the help, they'll reach out. Some of the other ones I know I need to go and reach out. I need to make sure I, I, need, I connect with them. But it also, it, it speaks to the, the, the holistic support system that we have here at Marion is, again, it's hilarious that you asked me this because it's literally this past week. I have examples of everything that you're talking about because this is how often it happens. But I met with a student earlier this past week and was trying to plan what was going to happen for her moving forward. And I had a 20-minute conversation with the registrar about this particular student. And and we're all on the same page. I was able to go and have that conversation. It wasn't it was a, an accepted sort of conversation from the registrar because they're, they're on the same page. They're saying, listen, this is why we're here. We're here to help our students move forward and get them what they need. It's not necessarily like, we well, didn't follow this rule, so get out of here. You know, it's, it's a different kind of environment that it makes it a lot easier to give that level of support on a consistent basis because it's not just me. It really is all departments, all offices are, are aligned with the support that all of our students sort of need. So it's it's it has a large impact on the student, which is great because the you know the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Like I I I spend time on my students and I spend time looking at and what's going on and and since I've been here for so long, it it helps that I know, you know, our policies, our procedures, our 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 history of courses and that sort of thing. So it's um it, it's a little easier and quicker for me to do some of those things than than maybe a new professor. But it is so so much helpful when I could just walk down the hallway and have a conversation with the registrar or an assistant provost for academics and say, what, what are we going to do here? And they're all on the same page. They're not they're not stopping because I didn't fill out the right form or something like that. Like it, it really sure. is easier to provide that level of support, which I think makes everybody else on campus the same way that, that they they're able to support our students like this because everybody else is already aligned and, and is already helping to do so. I'm I'm also curious. I mean, I know, you know, not not to take it in a in a negative direction. You know, I know we we can't be 100% on on all of these things, but you know, although our our findings are better than our comparison groups, you know, I mean, looking at it, I mean, okay, so 60% said very often or or often, but that also means that 40% said sometimes or never. So I'm curious, like, what do you think we can do at the at the institution to, you know, just just better promote student faculty interaction or uh, another way to say it? What can we do to, to better support faculty in their efforts interacting with with students? So the, the, the most recent look redesign of our core components that all students receive here from when it comes to the coursework, the TJP program, the transformational journey program. I felt like there was a little bit more concerted effort to make sure that that was tight. It was clear. It was specific. It wasn't sort of all over the place. And so part of that is, is part of the, the, the development of those instructors, those professors that are, that are teaching in that program. And so we have, we have developmental opportunities for our instructors where we, where we talk about what do we want our students to receive across all of these, all of these courses. And so, for instance, you know, when I said that I, I'm asking all of my TJP professors to, to share their vocational journey yeah. in the very, very beginning, it's, it's sort of on me and also you know, our general education committee to just stay on it, to make sure that our, our instructors are getting reminders about sharing that because it, it does have an impact 
on students. We can we can see this in the Nessie data, and so this this helps me. This this kind of Nessie data, and and again, I don't you know there are some people that are just I don't want to do any more surveys. Please don't please don't ask me to do any more surveys. This is just data, and it's boring. It's assessment, whatever. But this helps justify the time that we spend on doing this development for our, our instructors. And so my hopes as the director of TJP is to maintain that level of commitment to things like this, where we're talking about a vocational journey, we're talking about career development, it's on our minds, and it resonates with parents, it's going to resonate with students that are seniors, because they're getting nervous about what's going to happen later on. So providing those developmental, consistent developmental opportunities where we target things like this, and it's, you know, the question asks about career plans. And so What's unique about here is that we're, it's not just a career. It really is your vocation. It's, it's your yeah. calling. And so your career is part of that. But what else are, what else are you going to do for humanity? What else are you going to do to impact your world beyond just a career kind of thing? And so I, I would say that keeping up with that, keeping up with that, that developmental opportunities and making sure we have got a really, really tight core curriculum where we keep talking about this, I think that will help students understand that Everyone here is already, it, it shows them we're already committed, but it shows it in a much stronger kind of way. And it seems like that that would be helpful for reaching those students who, because I, you know, I mentioned that the faculty here are busy, but the students are also very busy. And, and that seems like an effective way to reach those students who, you know, maybe when, when class ends, they have to go home and care for a family member, or they have to go to a, a part-time or full-time job. And to be able to just kind of reinforce that th- those things during class, you know, would, would just help like foster those relationships and, you know, have them see the, the faculty as a resource when it comes to things like career plans. Thank you, David. I, I really appreciate, you know, just talking to you about the, the findings and, and getting your insights. Just to, to close for, for those listening, if you have any questions about assessment findings that, that you would like us to discuss on, on Data Talk, please feel free to email me. And uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we, we, we've been talking about uh, Nessie results these, these past three uh, episodes, and we are currently administering Nessie. So first years and seniors, your voice matters. And uh, in appreciation for participating, all students who complete the survey will receive a $5 Starbucks gift card to get your, your venti lattes like, like David likes. That's probably, you couldn't afford a venti latte with a $5. Uh, anyway. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. So, it doesn't have any of those pumps or anything else <laughs> oh, okay, in it. So. Okay. But anyway, just bring a copy or, or photo of your survey confirmation page to the front desk of the library to receive your gift card. If you have any questions about Nessie or how data have been used at Marion, please contact me. Uh, let's see what else. We've talked about merch. We've gotten your feedback about merch. And uh, again, I'm, I'm there. There's merchandise in there? No, no, I'm just... Oh, that's no, cool. no. I mean, that would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Maybe on the... Like maybe stuffed the, numbers? Maybe like on the horizon. Numbers. Oh, that would be cool. Like little... I was thinking of like plushies. Like, yeah. 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 I'm sure beach, Amazon's got something. Beach towels. Like a change, like a like a delta symbol. That's a stuffed delta symbol. Okay, you know, you change. bring up good idea. You know, I was saying it as a joke, but you know, no. maybe we should be putting out some merch. That'd be support yeah. the show. Anyway, keep your eyes out for that, everybody, and and keep your eyes out for the Nessie invitations. And we appreciate you making time to to join us uh, for this episode of Data Talk. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. Please consider doing the, the Nessie survey. Yes. Hopefully, this this does show. You, all of you that it doesn't just go to a black hole. It it we talk about it, we see it, 
this this impacts teacher development, this impacts professional development that we try to do, and it and it and it loops back into what we try to do to influence the student experience at all at all times. So please consider trying to do it. Absolutely. Thanks, Tony. Yep. Thanks, David.